Ag State of Mind, episode 18. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Greetings and welcome to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a podcast powered by the Global Ag Network. I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and today on the show, we have Michelle Jones. Michelle is a wife, a mother, and a grain farmer from Montana. She also has a small cow-calf operation. Michelle has been very open online about her struggles with anxiety and depression. Uh, she's taking action to help reduce the stigma surrounding mental health and agriculture. She has, among other things, a comprehensive resource page on her website that is devoted solely to mental health. Her website or her blog, Big Sky Farm Her, is it's a really, really cool website and one that really I'm finding a lot of inspiration from for, for my own website, agstateofmind.com. That's where you'll find some of my blogs, a few of my more in-depth personal conversations and discussions about the various things. So go check that out today. And also, if you don't mind, go over to wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Stitcher, iTunes, or Spotify, and leave us a review. And starting next month, we're going to start reading some of these reviews at the beginning of the episode, like here. Um, so go out and go give us a review. So maybe you can hear your review on the air. So uh, without any further business, I will go ahead and get to my interview with Michelle Jones. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for taking the opportunity to come on here and have a conversation with me. I really appreciate it. So if you don't mind, tell me a little bit about yourself, about kind of what you do and your background and uh, kind of your story. All right. Well, I'm a fourth generation farmer and I farm in South Central Montana. I farm with my dad and my husband. My husband grew up a rancher and I grew up a farmer. So we're, we currently operate on both places. Primarily we raise wheat. Then we have malt barley, a little bit of corn, safflowers, sunflowers, alfalfa. We have a pretty diversified operation here in Montana. And prior to farming, I came back full-time to farming in 2012. I worked in transportation and logistics for Amazon and before that for UPS. And then I've also been heavily involved in agriculture policy. I do a lot of work on the, especially on the national level, but in all levels of government for egg policy. Yeah, I think the first time I reached out to you, you were actually in D.C. working on policy. Uh, probably. I've spent quite a bit of time in D.C. the last couple of years. <laughs> How often are you there? Uh, it depends on the year, but um, for a couple of years there, I was probably there every other month. Wow. That's a lot of plane trips to the East Coast from Montana. Yeah, I've gotten some pretty good status built up. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> So how I came across you is I am very good friends with Carrie Portell and Carrie was on the RFD Farm Her series just a few months ago. I think I saw today it was seven months ago and I was looking through the website and I came across this piece where they did on mental health and agriculture and you along with Leslie Kelly who was a guest on the show a few weeks ago were featured in some of the work that you two have been doing uh, not together but featured separately. 
so I read about you and I read about how you, at the time when it was uh, featuring you, you were experiencing postpartum depression. And if you don't mind, would you, would you mind sharing a little bit about that and what, what toll that took on you and how you were able to get to the other side of that? Yeah, I, it definitely took a more of a toll even than I realized, you know, going through it. I have two little boys, or we have two little boys. Will is four and Tate is two and a half. They're basically exactly 17 months apart. And it was when Tate was an infant, you know, that I started to realize that I really wasn't myself and that I was really, really struggling. And then there was one day that I was giving them a bath and I was, I was just laying on the bathroom floor crying and honestly thought, you know, wonder if I walk out the door, like what happens? And then I realized, you know, the second that I thought that, that something was really wrong and that I needed to talk to my husband and then reach out to my doctors and get some help because something was, you know, definitely not right at all. And, um, you know, I got help for that. And looking back on it, I realized, you know, I wish that someone had said something. I think I, in fact, I know that people knew Um, my sister said that she did and she apologized for it, but you know, it's something that like the state of our house, like just our house was a mess. Like I look at pictures and that's not a house that I could live in, in like a normal (laughs) state. Like Mm -hmm. it it is not something that I let, you know, happen. And you look back on it and think, wow, something was really wrong for a long time. And luckily, you know, I got help for it. But when I got the help for it, I posted a picture on social media about it. And just saying it out loud, for whatever reason, was a huge relief was that that in and of itself made me feel significantly better. You know, not only the comments that I certainly wasn't the only one, but just being able to say it out loud for some reason was, was very relieving and very therapeutic for me. Yeah, I, I'm actually, it's funny you say that because I'm reading this book and I think it's called You Are Awesome. It's a, it's a personal development book and it talks about when you have some sort of anxiety, you have some sort of mental health issue going on. The, the number one way to get that out is to just let somebody know. I wish I could remember what the actual term he used, but um, something similar to venting, you know, I mean, it makes sense that that's the best way, but it's so hard for people to get that out because for you, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth here, but I can kind of almost see where you're coming from because you feel like it should be the happiest time of your life. You're a mother. Things seemingly should be going great for you. You have healthy kids and you're still sad. And there's almost probably a guilt associated with that. And I, is that, is that, am I off base here? Is that how, is that kind of how you felt? No, that's very, I mean, that's very true. And there's certainly a lot of guilt associated with it. And in my case, you know, I never planned to be a stay at home mom and I really don't consider Mm -hmm. myself a stay at home mom. You know, I had a career in the corporate world. I was a farmer, you know, you don't really realize when there isn't access to childcare, which there isn't often in rural America, you know, how mm-hmm. much you have to step back from that role. And I really wasn't prepared for that. And that certainly exacerbated my, you know, postpartum depression and anxiety, but it also exacerbated the guilt because, you know, there's so many people that they'd love to stay at home. You know, that's what they dream of doing. And for financial reasons, they can't. And so it, it's hard to say it out loud. You know, you feel guilty for yeah. not yeah. enjoying something that, you know, half the population would love to do. Isn't that funny that you feel bad for feeling bad about something? I mean, for lack of a better way. And I don't think it's just mothers. I think it's people in general who 
they have something that they feel anxious or something they feel depressed about, but they feel almost like they shouldn't deserve to feel that way about that. And I think that's probably the way you felt about being a mother, because there are so many people that would love to be in your situation. Now, I'm just, I'm playing devil's, devil's advocate. Oh, here. yeah, definitely. But people that would love to be in your situation, but you feel bad about it and it's hard to really reach out for that. And I mean, I totally understand the feeling where you're coming from. I feel like that, not obviously being a mother, but through other things um, to where people would love to have what I have, but you still feel, you still feel bad. And I think that's kind of part of this stigma that is wrapped around mental health. And, you know, it's not just a one size, nice, neat, everyone fits in it box. Oh, no. Yeah, definitely. You know, and it's, it's so different and so unique for everyone. And fortunately, like you said, you know, there's some things that what someone could really want, you know, it's, it can be the source of someone else's, you know, depression or anxiety. And it's just such a tough position to be in. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It is. Yeah. So you you mentioned you do a lot of trade and a lot of dealing with trade, a lot of policy work, a lot of work in D.C. So you're talking to producers, you're talking to people who are involved, who these trade decisions, these policy decisions are directly affecting. How is that affecting the mental health of producers on the ground level, on the people who are actually doing the work, just like you, who's a farmer and a rancher, both. How are these policy decisions? How is it affecting the the well being of those who it affects? You know, for people that, especially people that are really, really financially strapped, obviously it makes a huge difference. Whether you know we're looking at now the MFP, the market facilitation program, you know whether or not they make the third payment. And locally, we're not affected because we all of our payments were wrapped up in the first one, but you know, for those people that are affected, that's a huge deal. That's part of their cash flow, you know, and that adds a lot of extra stress depending on how they plan for it. So especially when you're dealing with actual cash, obviously policy decisions have a huge impact on people's mental health and their financial situation. And then on the trade side, you know, it seems like for the most part, you know, trade happens in a space that no one really touches, no one Mm -hmm. really, it doesn't really impact them. But in certain cases, it can. In the case of the USMCA, there will be fixes to a wheat grading issue. And, you know, I've heard analysts say that it's not that big of a deal. And it's true. It's not. In a financial sense, it is not that big of a deal. But for producers up on the northern tier of Montana that watch Canadian semis drive south every day, bringing in wheat out of Canada, and they cannot do the same you know, that starts to wear on them and they start to wonder, you know, why does no one care enough about this issue to fix it? And, you know, and it may not rise to the level of adding to anxiety or to mental health necessarily, but it certainly is just something that frustrates people. And it, in certain cases, it can be a straw that breaks the camel's back, you know, if other things are going on. And so these policies and they have a human impact. There is a face to every single policy and they, everyone has affects each individual producer. Yeah, I agree. And I I think no matter what is going on, no matter if it is actually full-blown anxiety or depression, these things take a toll on us. I can come from a cow-calf standpoint. And right now, to sell a cull cow market is, I mean, you may as well just let her stay on the farm because the, the return is so terrible. And that gets people's wheels turning about, well, what if 
you know, if I can't sell these cold cows for a certain price, then, you know, that affects the cash flow statement. And then that's going to affect how much of my loans I can pay back. And it just kind of gets this cycle going where people start having to go into some really dark places of what, maybe not what will happen, but what can happen. And, you know, that's really dangerous and it's scary. And I mean, there's nothing I don't think that we can do about the actual results of trade other than, you know, what we are already doing and trying to get people um, involved in it, uh, involved in the decision making, but these decisions that are made, they really have a big impact on on the people at home. Yeah, and I think that's the most important part is that it, you know, all of this stuff adds up, be it, you know, like you said, that one cow that, and there could be another, you know, a trade decision based on whatever happened in Brazil or whatever happened right. in China yeah. or whatever happens in Japan, you know, that comes back all the way back to the farmer. And I think that that's, you know, it's important that Washington and the, you know, the decision makers understand that it does have a human toll and it takes a toll on our financial situation and that every decision that they make does in fact matter to us in agriculture. So do you ever try to get lawmakers to see what's going on and come out here and meet some of these people? You know, I don't know if it's necessarily just people from Montana, your home state, or or even other alt lawmakers to kind of, you know, really realize that these these issues are affecting real people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, not only have I take stories to Washington, D.C., based through organizations that I've been involved with, you know, we'll bring in people to our conventions. Um, we just had Undersecretary Ted McKinney there who, you know, he went around at breakfast and talked to people. He's actually very accessible. We've also had senators on our farm. We've had Martin Barbie, the RMA administrator on our farm personally, you know, you can get quite a few of them to come out and on the farm. And they actually really like to do that, in my experience, especially the USDA officials. And, and it's important to be able to show them, you know, this is how, you know, these policies impact us. This is important for our mental health. And, you know, I've also been involved with Farmers for Free Trade, and they did a motorcade for trade for USMCA across the country. And in more than one spot, when they had congressional officials or senators, they had conversations about mental health and how the impacts of these, whether it's USMCA, China, you know, Japan, all of the above, how it is impacting their mental health and agriculture related to their financial situation. And so it's definitely been important to you know, meet with those guys and tell them your individual story because that resonates with them. You know, a lot of people will think that Washington is out of touch and in a lot of ways they can be, especially your local representatives. Personal stories do matter to them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's so great that you are able to go and do that work and kind of provide that conduit for people who actually do the work to those lawmakers. I mean, that's invaluable, I feel like. Uh, yeah, it's definitely invaluable. And for me, because I've always liked policy, it is honestly a good outlet for my mental health because I can feel like I'm doing something. Sure. Uh, I'm probably not going to change the world, certainly not going to win every policy, you know, initiative I set out to accomplish. It'd be, ni it'd be nice if you would. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, you know, that's just not how policy works. But it gives me an outlet to actually feel like I'm doing something. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a big part of getting anybody in a good mental place is to help them to realize that they are making a difference. And, you know, that's kind of what I'm trying to do here with this podcast is, you know, I know there are people who are struggling. I know there are people who, 
kind of need this sort of outlet. And for me to get to talk to people about all the different things that they're doing, that's kind of the boat I'm in. I feel like, you know, maybe I'm not going to change the world, but if I can change and help one person, then it's completely worth it. And helping myself too. You know, it's definitely worth it for individuals, you know, to be able to look through and find these podcasts and, you know, listen to other people that feel the same way they do and that, you know, there are outlets to get help. There are people to reach out to that, that will help you find help. And there are definitely, you know, countless people that are in the same situation that you are. You know, it may not be identical, but they're certainly dealing with either depression or anxiety or, you know, various mental health issues. So when you started talking out about it, starting reaching out and telling your story online, whether it be on social media or on your website, what kind of feedback did you get? Did anybody give you any trouble? Because I know there's a lot of stories of that, of when people start speaking out that a little bit negative backlash. Um, No, I never got any negative backlash. I mean, I had hundreds of people, especially I put a video on Twitter, you know, a year ago about Mm -hmm. my anxiety over finding someone to treat anxiety, that there was so many people reached out. I mean, hundreds of private messages and it blew me away how many people reached out. And, you know, sometimes their advice is not something that, you know, is necessarily applicable to me. Like sometimes it's just stuff that, but it all came from a place where they were, you know, trying to be helpful and they certainly weren't being negative about whatever their advice was. It really blew me away the amount of people that, reached out. Yeah. And to have such a positive community support like that is unbelievable. And when you can do that, when you can reach out and I watched the videos and you were completely vulnerable and completely open and honest. I mean, there was obviously no kind of faking going on there. I mean, you were real. And when you were able to do that and show your emotions and show the things that are really affecting you in this way, I mean, it's, it can only have that positive effect for other people wanting to reach out and maybe do the same. And, you know, it kind of be a domino effect where all these people who are experiencing these problems come together and maybe make a change and do something. Well, you know, and in the immediate effect, I just wanted like to find someone to talk to and help get my anxiety under control. But, you know, long-term, obviously it's, also important to me that we develop better options in rural America, you know, make it easier to find help for mental health. And, and I'm not even in a place, I mean, Broadview in and of itself is rural, but I'm only 30 miles from Billings, the largest city in Montana. Like this should not, this should not be that difficult for me to find healthcare. Like I'm not in Jordan where you're four hours from any place with help. I'm kind of in a similar boat. I'm not quite as close to a large city, but still close enough. I'm an hour and a half from St. Louis. And there are people available. It's not as accessible, obviously, as it should be. And, you know, it should be as easy to, and this is whether it be self-perceived or stigmatized or whatever it may be, it should be just as easy for someone to walk into a therapist or a clinical psychologist as it is for them to walk into their family medicine doctor. I mean, there should be no problem with doing that, but that is not the case because, A, there's just not the people available. And if the people are available there, especially in these rural communities, you know, I mean, everybody's going to see your truck at the psychologist's office, you know. So, I mean, there's a lot of layers to this. There's a lot of battles to overcome. 
Yeah, there definitely is. And, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful with people like myself that'll speak out and Leslie and yourself who has a podcast. And I know that the Female Farmer Project, they have worked very hard and in conjunction with a couple of senators on a bill for rural mental health that, you know, will be able to get more access into the rural areas and make it easier and take advantage of technology. I mean, obviously there's still places that need better internet in rural America and phone service, but to be able to take advantage of technology for telemedicine or more access to quick phone call, like the 811, the new number for Mm -hmm. um, the suicide to consolidate that number. um, You know, all of those sorts of things that it'll start to snowball and make, you know, have some actual tangible impacts into rural America would be great because there's only one clinical psychologist between Billings and Bismarck. Holy cow. One? Holy cow. There's, you know, there's obviously a couple of therapists and stuff in between, but just one clinical psychiatrist between Billings and Bismarck. And it's not like, my goodness, there's not like there's nothing in between that either. I mean, there's establishments. You know, there's some good towns. There's no major metropolis, but I'm sure there's some several thousand people towns in that area. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to cross the Bakken oil fields. There's at least two towns that have to be close to 25,000 people. Right. Um, Holy cow. So, yeah, there's a number of minor urban... I mean, to people in rural Montana, like, there's more than one place out there that there's considered going to the big city. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like Billings is the really, really big city that yeah. they go to twice a year. Like this right. is their urban area where they go and get groceries and stuff like that. There's more than one of those places in between here and Bismarck. And that blows my mind that there is absolutely, there's, there's nothing. There's no, wow. That's, well, I mean, that's, I guess, kind of what we're trying to fight against. But even for me, I mean, I'm, I'm in Missouri and we're rural, but we're not near as rural as that. And I'm halfway between Springfield and St. Louis on a major interstate. So, you know, it's sparse here, but nothing like that. And we have a problem here. So I couldn't imagine what it would be like to have that vast stretch of area where, I mean, there's not a ton of people, but there's, I mean, several thousand people living in that area to have just zero access. And that's incredibly sad. Yeah, it is. And, you know, and it's also, I mean, you have to work, you're not going to, mesh with any one therapist necessarily and so you know having an, an option and a certain number of numbers is you know critically important for people to have successful experiences with therapy especially coming out of agriculture because mm-hmm. I went to one and one of the questions that she asked was like well what happens if you lose a farm you just get a job well I mean yeah in practical purposes sure yes I yeah. mean that is the answer but that's not like <laughs> That's your, that's a considerable fear I mean, of farmers. You're right. Oh, wow. That's. But, that's, you know, so they're not necessarily like, and so you need options for, you know, finding a therapist that understands your lifestyle and understands, you know, that it's not quite that simple. And she was a good person, but she just didn't, under, you know, just understand. Know. People right. don't know. She doesn't know agriculture. And so, you know, that narrows down, you know, in one person. So. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, a a significant issue out here and a substantial hurdle that hopefully we can overcome, you know, in a shorter amount of time than it's probably going to take to overcome those type of hurdles and get us access. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think we're starting to do a good job, Um, but it, it still has to build. There still has to be so many people pulling on that rope because it's just it just needs to be a total mindset change and people like you said to get people who 
actually understand agriculture to be able to talk to these people, is it's not going to be an easy task because, I mean, if you don't understand it, you don't understand it. And there's a lot of, like I said earlier, there's a lot of layers to this that doesn't, you know, it's going to take more than just a few people talking out about it. Uh, yeah, it takes, you know, hundreds. It's like anything in rural America. You know, we're such a small percentage of the population that it takes, you know, a lot of us to amplify that voice um, in an effective manner. Yeah. And that brings me to what I want to talk about. And I want to talk about your website. First of all, your website is beautiful. It's just very well put together and it's something you should be proud of. But your you have a section on there that is rural mental health resources. And that's a very, very great place to start. And what, I mean, obviously you've had your own struggles. How big a part did that play into putting that together? And how did it grow? How have you been able to see the fruits of the labor at all with that? Um, I guess I don't really track page analytics for people looking that up, that one specifically, but it basically started out of my own struggles. And so I basically took every resource that anyone recommended and, you know, at least looked them over and made sure that they were legitimate. And then I put them up there so that people could have them. And, you know, as I find more, you know, I try and add them because when I was looking for, you know, help for anxiety, it was hard to, I mean, aside from, I couldn't find someone locally, but you know, so much of the stuff that people talk about all the time, like the suicide number, like I thought, well, I'm not going to call them because I'm not suicidal. Like I'm not going to take up their time, you know? So having a place mm -hmm. to go for resources that are below the level of, you know, that you're, you've reached the point that, you know, you need to talk to the suicide hotline or something like that. And so I wanted to have a place to at least, you know, start to compile those and put them together. You know, I'll hear someone that'll talk on a radio show or something like that and add them as I go. And hopefully, you know, it is a place that people will utilize if they need to. Well, there's a thing about it. You mentioned something about, and I want to just kind of touch on that a little bit, because you say you didn't call the suicide hotline because you weren't suicidal. Thank God, obviously. But like, I think a big disconnect is, and obviously you recognize that there's a difference, but a lot of people, when they think about mental health, that's what they think about. They think it's either you're fine or you're ready to commit suicide. There's such a broad spectrum of how much help people need and at any given time. And, it, you know, like I, like I said earlier, it's on a spectrum. And to have a various amount of resources and various types of people who are available as those resources is something that... I think is, is starting to happen doing this mental health first aid where it's not necessarily trained practitioners who are getting uh, fluent in this kind of stuff or they need a, a therapist or a psychiatrist or even, like I said, the people who are actually trying to prevent a, a suicide. You know, there's so many opportunities for people to serve and I'm happy that you have these resources that kind of gives that a little bit of that a little bit of those various various resources there that to help anybody no matter how far in the hole they are uh yeah it's i mean it's crazy how broad that it can be you know there's definitely people that through meditation or you know something on their own they can you know deal with whatever you know smaller issues they have and then there's obviously ones that rise to the level of needing medication or, you know, in-person therapy or, you know, whatever it is. It's just such a broad scope. 
And that can make it harder to find resources just because you don't really know where to look. And so hopefully I can, you know, keep providing that. And hopefully, you know, maybe other people that have agricultural blogs or, you know, social media pages will consider, you know, adding that on theirs just because those can be high traffic, yes, you know, places. Yeah. And getting as many people to talk about it as possible, just trying to get people involved in the conversation. And I think it's, it, we're getting there. The, it's kind of a, like a ball rolling up a hill, but it's, we're starting to get enough people to push on that ball that it, it's starting to um, make a difference. So Michelle, uh, we're, we're running list a, a little bit short on time today, but I want to give you an opportunity for two things. First thing I want you to give the opportunity to, for you to tell people where they can find you online, find your website, find you on social media. And I, I just want to ask you a question and uh question is what would you tell someone who may be struggling whether it be depression or anxiety or other forms of mental health what would be your advice for their first step you know my advice for their first step is just to reach out to someone and be that their spouse their parent their best friend um or do it as broadly if they're comfortable, reach out on social media. You, you will be blown away by the number of people that are willing to share their stories and share some of their resources, be it local or otherwise. I had someone that I work with, a friend of mine through policy. He actually got me an appointment for a therapist in Great Falls, Montana, just in case I couldn't find one. And it had been one that he was familiar with through some of his family members. I mean, that blew me away that he would, that if, if, matter to him that much that that's what he would do so you may be you know shocked at who will come through and who it will be there to catch you and to help you yeah absolutely there are so many people who are ready to help they just just have to give them the opportunity to help and yeah they just have to know mm -hmm. and um and i can be found on social media any of the platforms as well as on my website big sky farm her and my website is www.bigskyfarmher.com. We'll definitely link that in the show notes. And like I said earlier, it's a wonderfully put together website and um, <laughs> one I'll try to strive to emulate. I, I'm, <laughs> do you do that yourself? I, yes, but also with a lot of help from WordPress and um, a few other apps and stuff like that. Well, it's, I'm trying. I am so, that's so something I'm not well versed in so i'm doing my best but it, it's been a struggle a little bit so yours is very well done thank you well michelle thank you for taking the time today to talk to me it's been really great to get to know you and know your story and to find out a little bit more about the the help that you've been trying to provide and the resources you've been trying to to put out there well thank you for having me i really appreciate it yes yes ma'am Next week on the show, we have Jeff Ditzenberger. Jeff is a farmer from Wisconsin who has a very unique story. He's a mental health survivor. Um, he tells a little bit about his journey through that and a little bit about how he is helping others in similar situations to him. So Jeff was a great guy. We had a thing I told him at the beginning. I try to keep the episodes around 30 minutes. He did not think that that was an appropriate amount of time, but uh, um, I was really cool. It was really cool to talk to him because, uh, like I say, if you get a farmer from Wisconsin talking, uh, there's no telling how long they'll go. So um, it was really cool to talk to Jeff. He was a, a lot of fun. So I I'm very excited for everyone else to get to hear our conversation. But until next week, I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and this has been the Ag State of Mind podcast. 
Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.